Welcome to the Out of the Deep End podcast, dedicated to all things mental health. I am Dr. J.C. Burnham, and today we are going to take a look at specific personality traits and how these traits may help or hinder your physical and mental recovery. Give me a few minutes, and together we'll make a difference. Understanding how personality traits can benefit or hurt us is vital in how we approach what I like to call climbing that mountain. And what I mean by that mountain is any kind of situation that is challenging. It could be the result of a chronic disease, a chronic illness. It could be because of an accident, or it could just be because of something that is occurring or has happened in your life that keeps you from becoming the person that you want to be or achieving the goal that you set out to achieve. So in today's show, I want to take a look at the history of personality and then focus on a particular personality test that is very popular today, one that that I have used in my classes at both high school and university level, and discuss what are some of the good and the bad elements of those particular personality traits. And we'll be talking about extroverted versus introverted traits today. So what is personality? Well, if you go all the way back a long time ago to a basic philosophical old Greek philosophy, um, you'll find that personality is basically Greek for mask. The masks that we wear to interact with the world. Uh, The humorism or the humor, right, is referring to an individual's personality that was composed of what was believed to be four specific body humors or internal liquids that corresponded with four dispositions. And these humors were yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and finally, blood. Now, we still use one of these terms today, phlegm, we refer to as phlegmatic, which means a laid-back person or an evenly-tempered person. So that's still a holdover from the, uh, the original personality ideas. We don't really use this model so much in modern psychology, but there are still remnants of this theory in modern personality tests. And if we go back to the 60s, 70s, and 80s of the last century, you'll see that there were many tests that were basically uh, focused on four different temperaments, sanguine, melancholy, choleric, and phlegmatic. And people loved this because it was very easy to give and it was very easy to categorize people. But there was a problem with the simplicity because it tended to show certain types such as the sanguine extroverted personality had a lot more positive factors associated with it as opposed to the choleric, the very controlled, or the melancholy, the withdrawn, sad, almost depressed Eeyore type personality. And if someone was melancholy and they they read the description of themselves, they were like, oh, gosh, like, is there any hope? Right. And the sanguine person would be like, well, yeah, that's entirely me. Um, Look at all the great things. I'm good at sales. I'm good at business. I'm good. But 
the truth is now that that concept was very limiting and not accurate. So we have moved beyond into better ways um, of determining a person's personality and then assessing what are your strengths and weaknesses. So we'll move ahead, right? We start with Greek and then we move ahead and everybody has probably heard of or is somewhat familiar with Freud. Well, Freud had a personality concept that was focused upon three basic um, ideas. He had the id, the ego, and the superego. And if you think about Freud, you might think about the famous illustration of the iceberg, and the iceberg is floating in the water, and some of the iceberg is above the water, and some of the iceberg is below the water. And then you will see that it's divided into these three different parts. You have the id, which is the pleasure principle, the superego, which is the father principle, and then the ego, the reality principle. So the id, the pleasure principle, is basically designed to help a person to survive and to to get all that they desire. And it doesn't care about right or wrong. All it cares about is me right now. I want it. I have to have it. And I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And the id doesn't care about consequences. It doesn't care what it costs. It just simply says me, me, me. And we can say that the id is bad, but we have to understand that there are also very important parts of the id that actually help us to survive, to, pro, to procreate. So the id, even though it doesn't care about consequences, it is a very strong drive to make a person the, the, like, the best that they can possibly be because they, they want selfishly to have everything that they can possibly desire. Now, the superego is almost on the other spectrum. It is the father principle. And I realize that this, you know, saying the father principle is kind of dated these days, right? Because um, there's a trend in psychology to move away from the male-female stereotypes. But we, we need to remember the time in which Freud was writing and he was talking. So he developed his theory when the father tended to be the one in the household that um, gave out justice or, or gave out discipline. So the father principle represents the rules and the laws, the expectations within a family and within a society. So the superego is the one that's constantly telling us, do this, don't do that, it's good, it's bad, and it understands that there are consequences for your actions, and it is trying to protect us, right? But just like the id has good and bad, well, the superego, if you have too much of a superego, you find yourself in a very constrictive, controlling environment, um, it's very happy to actually achieve what the superego wants, because nobody can be that perfect. And then there's a, an awful lot of guilt that can be associated with um, the superego. Now, the ego is the reality principle. And the idea of the ego is, is there's a, a great illustration that you will see in cartoons where you'll have the angel on one shoulder, which is the superego, and you'll have the devil on the other shoulder, which is the id. 
and they're both talking into the head. And the ego is that head. It is the person, and it represents the reality principle that has to mediate between the two. It has to listen to the id. It has to listen to the superego, and then it decides, well, I think I should do this. And the reality is usually somewhere in between what the id wants and what the ego wants. Now, again, this is a very simplistic model, and Freud explained a lot of, of our behavior based upon this. And even though we don't use everything in Freud today, it's still a very foundational and um, important model for us to understand. All right, so move forward in time. We have developed what we refer to as the big five personality traits. And the big five are five characteristics that tend to show up time and time again over many, many different personality tests or personality theories that have been, been developed over time. And so those five are extroversion, agreeableness, openness, conscientiousness, and neuroticism. All right, and so we're not going to, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on these five, but it's important for us to recognize that, that there are traits that tend to be universal. They cross time and space, they cross cultures, they cross language barriers. To be human is to have these traits to some extent. Now, the question is, how much do we have of one and how much do we have a, of another? So how do we measure personality? Well, we call a person, personality inventory a personality test. And what it is is a self-assessment tool that asks subjects to self-report. In other words, they answer questions about themselves on these various personality traits. And each trait is designed to explain a particular human behavior. For example, if I want to know what, how a person measures on the agreeableness scale. I will ask them questions that will tell me how warm they are, how friendly they are, or how tactful they might be. And that would be a measure of um, agreeableness, one of the big five. All right, so another important question that comes up when we talk about personality is, does personality change over time? It was once thought, that personality was developed in childhood and that it remained fixed throughout a person's life, that it did not change. But we find recently that this assumption has been challenged. A study out of University of California, Berkeley, at the turn of the century uh, examined over 100,000 adults and found that personalities do change over time. For example, again, back to the big five, agreeableness and conscientiousness increased in subjects over the age of 30. And it makes sense because if you think of who you are now and you compare that person to who you were at a specific age, like when you were, say, 12 or 16 or 18, even 24, you will probably say, well, I'm not that person anymore right? You have changed. Now, the question is, how much have you evolved? And then what parts of your personality have remained consistent? So throughout your entire life, are there certain traits that don't change a whole lot? So why is it important that we understand our personality? Well, everybody has the capacity 
to change. So maybe there are some traits that are very strong. Maybe they are genetically derived or they were formed because of something that happened to you when you were much younger. Well, it doesn't have to always be that way. You can still tackle these traits and these habits that you have, and you can mold them. You can become someone that you want to be. You are not a slave to your genetics. You are not a slave to your childhood experiences. You can become the person that you want to be. All right, moving forward, now we're coming to the personality inventory that I want to use, and it's one that that I have used a lot in my classes. Um, It is referred to as the Myers-Briggs, or the MBTI. And the MBTI was originally developed by Catherine Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Myers, in in the mid-20th century. Isabel wanted to better understand the views of her husband, and why those views were different from hers, right? And so she, they began looking at um, different personality theories, and they, they came upon Carl Jung's publication, Psychological Types, and they said, this makes a lot of sense. And they wanted to take his theories and put them into a form, into an inventory. What, what we refer to an inventory is basically another way of saying a personality test, that would make it accessible to the general public. So they developed the first MBTI questionnaire and published it in 1962. The MBTI has basically 16 different personality types. And that's why it's often referred to or it has evolved into what is referred to as the 16 personality type inventory. So there are four binary oppositions, which means if you have four different spectrums and on the end of each spectrum is a particular trait, you then have 16 different possibilities depending upon where you fall in each one of those spectrums. For example, introversion is on one end of the spectrum while extroversion is on the other end of that same spectrum. So you can be either introverted or you can be extroverted. And the same is true for the spectrum of intuitive versus sensory, thinking versus feeling, and perceptual versus judging. So you have four spectrums, binary oppositions, and so you have a total of 16 possibilities in a personality type. All right, so... To get to the heart of what I want to talk about today is extroverted versus introverted. So on that spectrum. Now, Jung said that extroverts turn outward or their energy flows outward and batteries are recharged when we borrow the energies of others. So after a long, hard day at work and um, you are exhausted, an extrovert says, I want to go out after work. I want to go to a party. I want to go interact with other people because they are then going to actually use the energy of others around them in order to recharge their battery. When an extrovert first arrives at the party, she starts mixing her energy with others 
right? And other people say, oh, look at, look at her. She's so outgoing because her energy starts flowing outward. She mixes it with other people's energy, and then she's actually absorbing other people's energy, and that is recharging her batteries. We tend to say that an extroverted person is outgoing, but that's not, that's not entirely accurate because you can actually have a shy extrovert. You can have an extroverted person who is not particularly outgoing. Now, a shy extrovert is a person that goes to the party, absorbs all the energy at the party, but they still want to remain a little aloof. In other words, they don't want to be the focus of all of the people at the party. But they still want to be there. They want to be they want to be a part of everything that's going on. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember to like and subscribe and show your support by purchasing items in the show notes on the website out of the deep or through a generous donation. Comments and suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for your support. All right, so an introverted, according to young or an introverted person is someone who inverts or turns inward. Their energy flows into themselves. Their batteries are recharged in solitude ways that are away from other people because being around other people automatically starts taking energy from them. And in order for them to recharge, they need to be alone. And they are cautious of giving up their energy because it's not always easy for them to replace. After work, an introvert needs a few minutes or a few hours alone away from the chaos, away from the focus of the world. When an introvert arrives at a party, they immediately start strategically analyzing, where can I go where I can control my flow of energy. So this means that they would prefer to have an intimate conversation with one or two people away from the focus of the party because they can then give up the little bit of energy that they want. Now, again, the introverts, they can't always control how their energy flows. They just know that whenever they talk to someone, it just seems to be taxing. It requires concentration. They have to think about what they want to say and how they can say it just right. And so so an introvert has to be a little bit more realistic and cautious about what their role is going to be at the party. But again, an introvert does not mean that a person is shy. It just means that they want to control that flow of energy. They might still love going to parties, but they're still not going to just put themselves out there and start talking to a bunch of different people because forming new relationships, developing trust, that that takes a lot. It's taxing upon them. So I like to think of personalities in terms of extroverted and introverted or even some of the other traits as it's not always set in stone. For example, an extrovert can also be introverted or an introvert can find themselves feeling extroverted. So I like to use what I call the 60-40 or the 80-20 rule. All right. So we all have the capacity to be both extroverted or introverted. And many people 
can actually switch back and forth easily depending upon the situation, all right? If they take a personality inventory, they might find that, well, sometimes it says I'm extroverted and sometimes it says I'm introverted. And that makes sense because you, we have to remember that the result of a personality test is totally dependent, uh, dependent upon how we answer a specific number of questions. And I, there might only be five or 10 questions that deal with introverted or extroverted. So if you answer one or two of them differently in two different times, you're going to change the outcome of that test dramatically. So what the 60-40 or the 80-20 rule says is that we tend to be one or the other 60% of the time or 40% of the time, or 80% of the time, and 20% of the time. So for example, an extroverted person might be extroverted 60% of the time, but 40% of the time they're actually introverted. Or a very strong extrovert says, I'm extroverted 80% of the time, but I really feel introverted 20% of the time. And if we reverse it, it, it an, an introvert who says, man, I'm 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 introverted quite a bit, but I have a lot of extroversion in me. So they're 60% introverted, but also 40% extroverted. I like this model because it, it doesn't feel like just because we are, we're told we have one particular personality type that we're not entirely set and held to that. Like we can't vary and have some of the traits of, of some of the other personalities as well. And that makes sense. So let's apply this then, our understanding now of extroverted and inter, extra, introverted people to a real life scenario that is an, aligned with the purpose of this blog, which is to help people to live happier and healthier lives, to overcome chronic illness, chronic disease, to overcome um, issues in sports or in performance at work. So in a real life scenario, Let's say a person has a horrible traffic accident. Well, let's say there's two people. We have an extrovert and we have an introvert who are seriously injured in a traffic accident. And now they are faced with a situation that they never thought they would face. And how do I overcome this? How do I become myself again? Well, the extrovert will automatically have some built-in advantages straight up because they tend to have a larger support group to reach out to for help. But the question is going to be, what is the quality of these connections? They might have many, many friends, but how valuable are those friends? In other words, are those friends willing to give up their lives, to give up their routines in order to come and help you when you ask? And if the answer is yes, then that's great. You're well on your way to recovering, at least what the research has shown and what we know to be true is that the more support a, a person has, the easier it is for them to recover from these kind of ordeals. Now, the introvert, however, might not have as many people in their support group. They might have a much smaller circle of friends. But the same question is still relevant. What is the quality of those connections? That's what matters most. So the introvert might only have three friends, but all three of those friends are willing to drop everything, do whatever it takes in order to help them to recover. Now, regardless if you're an extrovert or, to, or an introvert, you are going to need support. You need someone to talk to, 
someone who can provide for you, someone who is able to monitor and give you a real life assessment as to how you are progressing or how are you really fitting into the world, right? Maybe it's something at work, something at school, something on the basketball court, right? But you need someone that can be that bridge between what you are experiencing and what reality is. Now, the danger for the introvert especially a shy introvert, which this is also true for a shy extrovert, right? But particularly for a shy introvert is that they're not willing to reach out and ask for help. They have a small circle of friends and and often they say, well, I don't want to be a burden to my friends. So they try to do everything by themselves. And there is something powerful about this. And there is something special about this kind of a personality because, man, they can overcome so much and they can do so much by themselves. They are strong, but only to a certain point. What happens when they can no longer do it all by themselves? If they're not willing to reach out for help, then they're not going to have someone to help them when they really need it. Or maybe they don't even realize that they need the help They think that they're doing it all by themselves. They think they're being successful, but the reality is that they're not, but they don't have anyone there to help them to see the truth. The danger for the extrovert is the added struggle that they experience of all of a sudden being alone, not able to reach out and connect to all those people that they know, and they don't have the ability to go out and recharge their batteries, which when they are healing, they desperately need because they're using so much of their batteries, their energy just to heal, just to keep themselves occupied, entertained, keeping themselves happy, that They really want to go to that party, but they can't. So a big part of an extrovert's sense of self can actually be based upon how they interact with others or the number of connections that they make with other people. So if we take away all of those interactions, the extrovert suddenly feels as if they've lost a vital part of themselves. A very important part of their personality has suddenly eroded away. So looking at introverts and looking at extroverts, there are some positives and there are some negatives that just because of the base personality type that might actually influence how that person responds to a situation where they need help. So what do we do now? So my advice to you is, first of all, if you have not done a personality inventory, please go and do one. I highly recommend the MBTI. Just search on the web for MBTI or Myers-Briggs or even 16 personality types, and you will find a plethora of websites that allow you for free to take the inventory online. And then they'll tell you, what are you? And then you can search, like, for example, if you're an ENTJ. Now, I'm not going to go into what that means right now. I'll do that in a future show. But you can search up ENTJ, and it will give you a very good um, like description of what your personality is. Or um, if you want to buy a book, I will link to in the show notes. Go and buy this book. Please use my link to support the show. And then this book will, will go in and it will give you not just your personality type, but also uh, like 
information about parenting, about dealing with children, about relationship aspects that all have to do with your particular personality type. And then once you know what your type is and once you've read all about it and whether you agree with it or whether you disagree with parts, usually the parts that you disagree with are the parts that you actually want to change about yourself. Or oftentimes there are people that are very close to two different personality types, but you can decide which one you most want to be and then that's who you work to become. But take a test, assess yourself What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And then how can you use your particular personality type to make the most out of your life? What areas do you want to improve in? Then examine your circle of friends. Ask yourself, who can I most talk to? Who will help me when I need help? And maybe you're, the answer is easy. You have, oh, I have all these wonderful friends, and that's great. Now, the true test will be how many of those people are still your good friends when you actually need help, and you need help time and time again, right? But there's a good way to start developing those friends if you don't have them already. And I always say, if you want to have good friends, you need to be a good friend, Right. And I use the model of the bank account where you can go to the bank and you can take a a withdrawal out of that bank. But they're only going to let you take a withdrawal if you have previously made some kind of a deposit. So when it comes to friendships, start making deposits now. Make them often. And a deposit is just something that you do to let that friend know, hey, I am your friend. I have your back. I am here to support you. And maybe it's just listening or maybe it's doing something kind for them. But whatever it might be, every every friend has different needs. It's understanding their needs and then doing what you can to meet those needs. So one day, if you need to make a withdrawal, you have a very big account already established from which you can withdraw from. Now, in the future, in the future, I would like to talk about some other personality aspects, not just extroversion or introversion, but also some other aspects of personality that can be helpful or can be dangerous to a person trying to overcome a very difficult ordeal. And so look for that. That'll be coming in the near future. Please, if you like this show, please tell your friends, like, and subscribe. My goal is to raise enough money through this podcast to open a pain and wellness center where I can share with people face-to-face all this good information that I'm giving to you now. And the idea is to be able to help people in real life who really need that help. So any contribution that you're willing to, to make is very dear and very appreciated and very important to helping me achieve these goals. Please, if you want to, you can um, make a contribution directly through Venmo at JC Burnham or go to the website and you will find links to, to other ways where you can contribute to the show. Thank you so much for your time and I hope that this information has been helpful to you. And like I always say, be wise, be happy, and be healthy. This is Dr. JC Burnham and the Out of the Deep End Podcast.